I, I, read, I came across his article this week, and uh, it was an interview with Miley Cyrus. Now, it's not the kind of stuff I normally read. And it wasn't in the National Enquirer. It was like a real legit article. And uh, what got my attention was it was kind of, you know, just her sharing where she's at and her story. And, you know, she's a complex individual uh, if, you, if you know a little bit about her. But this one part of the interview, she, she's asked about um, her interest and her kind of like she's a fan of Woody Allen. And uh, she really loves Woody Allen, and, and Woody Allen asked her to come and record something in New York and do some work uh, with him. And so she flies to New York, and they're, they're, they're um, filming on the set, and 5.30 comes along, and Woody Allen says to the camera crew and the other guys, okay, guys, 5.30, let's stop. And they're like, no, we got to finish. There's, we can't just stop. And he's like, it's 5.30. I'm going to go home and eat supper with my wife and uh, catch the phone. Um, and he says, no, no, no. He says, my life does not exist just to make movies. And so he just stops everything and heads home for supper. And interestingly enough, you know, Miley Cyrus, complicated life that she expresses, that she's just floored by that. And she's looking at that. And she says, that's something about understanding that there's more to life than just the pursuit or more to life than just the ambition or more to life than uh, the success or the achievement. And it was this little glimpse in a very complex story of probably two individuals. I don't know much about Woody Allen and, and his life, and I'm not you know, praising him or, or Miley Cyrus, but there's this glimpse. You know, The Bible says we're all created in the image of God. And then we see glimpses of people longing for what that looks like, even in a mixed scenario, even where Jesus isn't mentioned, there's like, oh, there's, I'm made for more. And even in someone like Miley Cyrus looking at someone like Woody Allen saying, oh, there's something there that I'm missing too. It's not, she didn't recognize God, but something about that person's life. And last week we started this, this talk on relationships, on marriage and singleness, on looking at those two things as a vocation. And that's out of our image bearer uh, identity. We've created, been created in the image of God. And if that's true, then the relational status that we hold, whether married or single or um, single again, or however we describe that, has to be viewed at like, how do I reflect, how do I live my life as an image bearer in this relational status. And last week we said this, to view your relational status as a vocational status. Not your only your, your necessarily your primary vocation. We can look at different vocations, but to view your relational status as your vocational status. And we said last week, if you're married, your marriage is your vocation. If you're married, your marriage is part of your vocation, your calling, your purpose. But we also said last week, as we looked at the teachings of Jesus, if you're single, your singleness in this season, whether it's temporary or longer term, in this season, your singleness is a vocation. It's, 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 it can be purposeful. And I admitted last week in, in, how, in my own life, in my own marriage, that at times, in this regard, I've, tend, I've cheated I've cheated where I've overvalued some things and undervalued at times my marriage or my family, where I've allowed other things to take space. And that was, that's a tough thing to consider as we looked at that last week. And I asked you to, to do some homework, to go back, and, and I don't know if you, hopefully you thought about that this week, uh, this week, to think about like, 
how have I cheated on my marriage or my singleness? Not in the traditional sense of cheating or the moral sense of cheating, but how have I robbed from that vocation and overvalued other things? And if this is true, and what we said last week, we wanted to continue this week and ask this question. If this is true, if this is our vocation, how do we live out of it? And not just use it, not just abuse it, not just leverage it, not just see it as you know, a piece of the puzzle, but to live out of our vocation or to live out of our marriage or to live out of our singles. And when I say that, I don't mean that when someone says, I am single or I am married, that that's their exclusive identity because we're more complex than that, right? There's something more about you than just your marriage or your singleness. But what I want to get at is at times we can tend to sacrifice our vocation uh, for the sake of work or ambition or success. And last week we, we allowed Matthew 19, Jesus' words in Matthew 19 helped us frame this idea that, that Jesus lifts up marriage as purposeful, vocational. But he also gives this option of singleness as purposeful and vocational within his kingdom. And so not to, not to necessarily see one uh, better than the other. And Jesus does that in an amazing way in Matthew 19. And this week I want to go a little bit further. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, we're going to read a few verses, uh, verses 1 to 4 and then later from verse 25. And I want to, we're going to tease out a few principles. We're not going to unpack this whole text for sure, but it's a little bit of a backdrop. And I'm going to warn you, as we read this text, you're probably going to be thinking like, what are we going to get out of this? This is like, he said, Paul says some interesting things here. Uh, and I'll describe the context uh, in a moment. So uh, here it is, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her body, but yields it to her husband. And in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. We're going to jump to verse 25. Told you some, you know... I don't want us to read this out of context. But now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And I want you to just take, keep that in mind. He's saying, I have no command from the Lord on this, but I'm giving a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's trying to teach them in this specific moment. We'll continue. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want you to, sp- I want you to spare, spare you this. Now, don't take this verse out of context and quote it somewhere, okay? Um, Verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not, those who mourn as they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, and those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards a virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. If he is not sinning, they should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, he brings that word in again, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Man, let's pray. We need help with this text. Father, we pause um, because we long for your Spirit to lead and guide us. Um, help us to just connect last week and this week and what it means to live out the vocation that we are particularly in um, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before you go and apply this literally, and we're not going to look at the whole text, we're connecting it to last week, but I want you to just, this is like a put your kind of biblical interpretation hat on. You've got to understand the context. There's a crisis going on that Paul mentions. He says there's a crisis happening because there's immorality going on in the Corinthian church. So part of this text is speaking into that immorality. He's, he, he, he wants to bring clarity, teaching, and, and helping them live better and not live in the mistakes of the past. So that's part of the, the, the context here. He's in, there's a crisis going on in this church. But the other part of the context is this urgency. Paul literally believes that Jesus is coming back like tomorrow. And because he believes and thinks that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, he basically says, hey, all bets are off. Just focus right now. If Jesus is coming back like in the next week, then don't worry, don't mourn, don't work, don't do this. Just focus on this. You can be devoted to the Lord in this next little while because Jesus is coming back soon. And obviously, Jesus has not come back yet. This is written 2,000 years ago. He is coming. We believe that. But the context of his writing, the urgency of his writing comes out of that sense that Paul is feeling and, and the crisis that this church is going through. So much of what Paul writes here is influenced by that. And we're not going to focus on all of that today. We wanna, we're not going to deal with the crisis or the urgency, but I want to pull some principles here because Paul definitely does something similar to what Jesus did last week in Matthew 19. He says there's two vocational options, marriage and singleness. He doesn't play down singleness and lift up marriage. He says if you're married, great. If you want to get married, great. But in the urgency, remember the urgency. In the urgency, he says, if you can remain single, stay single because Jesus is coming back soon, so just be devoted to the Lord. But what he does, he, he's free to lift up this vocation of singleness. When describing marriage, though, think of the words Paul uses. He uses the words pledge. And he uses the word commitment in verses 27. Actually, you can see it on the screen. He, he's asking a question, but he uses those words. Are you pledged to a woman? Are you free from such a commitment? He describes marriage in this fashion. 
that married people are obviously concerned about their marriage. They're preoccupied of their marriage in their daily life. That's because it's a pledge. That's because it's a commitment. That's because it's a vocation. And part of their role, he says later in verse 33 and 34, is to please your husband or to please your wife. So he lifts up. This is part of the understanding of this vocation. Of course, this might feel a little different for singles. Time and commitment factor for singles might be different. The cares and concerns of a single individual would would be different than a married individual. Paul and Jesus both say, if you can be single and serve the kingdom of God, go for it. There's there's an option there. But the key reality about marriage that I, I, I really appreciate about this text and that we just unearthed from this is this. Paul says this. He says, if you're married, you have divided interests. Do you get that? Not divided interests in people. Divided interests in the sense that even in this context, with a desire to serve God, when you get married, your attention is divided because you are committed to a spouse. And so this is such an important principle that married people need to get, and it's so vital to comprehend this, that when someone says, I do, and expresses that vow, they have split their interests in half. Not literally, but you get what I'm saying, right? They've split their interests, their attention. This is not negative at all. This is actually an amazing embrace of someone who gets married. When someone decides to get married, they choose to love someone, to cherish someone, to support, to serve, to care. That's a decision. But in making that decision, Paul recognizes your, 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 your interests, your attention is divided. If you've dated, begin to date someone, or when you started to date someone, or if you're even considering to date someone, right? You choose to spend time with him or her. Well, you automatically choose not to spend time with someone else on that Friday evening, right? Or in that, that, that time of the day or whatever. When someone chooses to date, they automatically have made a decision. I got to split my time somehow. Um, so when you develop that relationship, you start splitting your time. When, when, you know, when I was younger, or you start to date, like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put homework aside and take that walk. Or I'm going to break from this paper and make a phone call. That was just the beginning, right? But then you start to realize marriage starts to divide your attention, starts to divide how you spend your money and how you spend your time and how you spend your energy. And then, oh my goodness, we're making this decision. I can't just, I'm not going to make this decision alone. All of a sudden now your attention is divided, right? But that's not, that's not bad. That's just part of what it means to be married. And when you don't get this, you put your relationship in jeopardy. When you don't get this, your whole relationship gets, it, it, it can be put in danger. Because like we said, we quoted Pete Scazzaro last week, someone who's married can't live as though they're single. And someone who's single can't just try and find, uh, you know, try and uh, live a life uh, like a married person or push that kind of like fulfillment that they might be thinking they're looking for. But when you don't get this, and you know, I've said this before, I think. I have a pet peeve with that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Will Smith portrays that guy who like defeats all odds and becomes so successful and, and is amazing with his investments and he becomes super wealthy. 
But I, I often am torn when I see a story like that because if you've seen the movie or read the story, you recognize that that individual who became super wealthy along the way let his wife go. Along the way said, honey, if you can't, if you can't believe in me, if you can't be with me, if you're going to hold me back, then I'm just going to let you go and I'm going to pursue my, my dream. Now, now, maybe the same could be true for her. Maybe, maybe in that decision, she was kind of saying, I, I, I don't have strength to sacrifice for you anymore, and I'm going to let you go. But we just look at the big pursuit of happiness story, right? The guy became super wealthy. Like, that's the only important thing in the world. But he left a trail of, of unfortunate mess-ups in his relationship. Was that the, was that the purpose? Was that the pursuit of happiness. And so consider this broader principle. We all have limits. If we view our relationships as a vocation, we all have limits. You can't live out your vocation without knowing this. So what kind of limits do you have? What kind of limits do I have? What, what, what takes our attention? Well, obviously, our time is limited, right? If specifically, if if you, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. We all have seven days in a week. So our time is limited. So we live within those limits. What Paul is partly saying here when he talks about divided interests is we all live within limitations. We can take that principle further and say we, some of us have different energy. Like some of us have more capacity than others. Some of us can sleep six hours and have a full day. Some of us need eight. Some of us get super tired at night and some of us have a second wind. We all have limitations on our energy. When someone gets married, that automatically their spouse creates a sense of limit. Not a bad limit, but a sense of, I am now joined with this individual and my time and my energy and my love and my decision making is now including us, not just me. So that's a natural limit. If a couple or someone has a, has a child... Those kids become a limit, right? Because you just realize, I need to spend time with my kids. I love my kids. But by doing that, I'm saying no to other things. That's a natural limit. When we ignore those limits, we put ourselves in danger. When we ignore those differences, we overvalue other things over these things. With our own capacity, the guy I quoted last week, Pete Scazzaro, he, he admitted, he, he has a great church in Brooklyn, uh, in Queens, I think, New York, and um, he says, like, I don't have the capacity to pastor a church of three, 4,000 people. I just don't. I don't have that kind of mental capacity. I don't have that kind of leadership capacity. And he realized, finally, he realized, he says, I had to acknowledge that my capacity, otherwise I would kill myself trying to defy it. And so we all have limits, sometimes financial limits. When you know your limits, here's the beauty though. When you know your limits, you make better decisions. When you know your limits, you make better decisions. You can prioritize with your limits. When you understand your time limits, your energy limits, the, 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 the limits of your vocation, married or single, whether you have kids or not, the limits of your finances, the limits of your capacity. When you know your limits, you actually make better decisions and you can prioritize within those limits. Now here's the danger. And I don't know about you, but I've fallen in this danger and maybe you have too. We end up using our vocation. We ignore the limits and we use our vocation to pursue our dreams. Or we use our vocation to get ahead at work. Or we abuse our vocation, our relationships, to move ahead. 
Maybe someone uses their spouse to get ahead. This might shock you, but this was overheard at a seminary several years ago, and I read it in a quote in a book where someone was talking to the students, and many of them who were not married, right? They're kind of getting ready for ministry and preparing. And the person said this to them. He said, be careful who, you're, who you marry. Well, that's pretty good advice. And then, he, and then he said, choose a spouse who will double your ministry. Now, that sounds really good on the outset, right? Obviously, Choose a spouse who's going to double your ministry. Take that out of ministry context. Go to um, Concordia Business School, and someone tells you, hey, when you get married, choose someone who's going to double your business. Choose someone who's going to double your success. Choose someone who you can partner with that's going to make your life more successful. I know on the ministry side, it might sound very noble, but that could be interpreted badly. Because all of a sudden, someone chooses a spouse who can secure that we see wonderful results in ministry. And then once the limitations come into the natural flow of a marriage, we say, wait a second, we, I thought we were going we were gonna to make this thing go so big. Why, what, why aren't you, why, well, how come your capacity is different than mine or vice versa? And, and all of a sudden that statements can sound dangerous because you can end up letting someone carry a burden so you can move forward. You can end up using someone's gift to help you achieve something else. You can cheat on them rather than your work or ministry or ambition. I'd encourage you to, to read the story of, uh, of Pete Scazzaro because he discovered this seven, eight years into his ministry in New York and the church was growing and uh, his wife was very involved. They had four daughters. It came to the point where, where his wife said, you know, Pete, I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't, like... And she, almost, she basically said, like, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't split up, I'm going to leave the church. So she left the church for a couple of months. Because she said this. She said, you know what? If we separate and, uh, and you get the kids every other weekend, at least I have a break. Because what was happening is that unjustly, Pete allowed the burden of his marriage and family to be taken care of while he went off and did something for God. And you can replace that in our ambitions in different ways. It's not that he was doing anything bad. It was noble. And it can happen with the best intentions, with the most passionate ambition, with the most amazing vision. I don't know if you ever heard of the story about the founder of World Vision. Amazing person. He, he coined the phrase, right? God, let our hearts be broken with what breaks yours. It's a beautiful phrase. And he, he saw world vision grow. He even later started Samaritan's Purse. Amazing person. His last mission trip in China, he was there scheduled for a few weeks. And he had a teenage daughter at home dealing with depression. And uh, he was out on the mission field a lot. He got a call. And he, he, he got a call and he said, your daughter is really not doing well. You need, you need to be home. But here's this guy, I mean, passionate for the lost all over the world, for the brokenhearted, for the poor, for those stuck in poverty. And he, and he made a call. He, he made a decision. He said, you know what? I'm going to just finish my two weeks here and I'm going to be home. I'm going to be with my daughter. And before he got home, his daughter committed suicide. And 
it's such a tragic story. It's, it seems like an extreme example, but how can that happen when somebody has such a noble vision, a God-given vision that has fueled so much good in the world? But then there was this moment where he said, he basically had the decision, where am I going to cheat? And he cheated the wrong thing. He cheated the wrong thing. And, you know, we can't, I don't want to judge him in any specific way. We don't know the full story. But you think about that for a moment. We need to understand our limits and how our attention is divided. This happens for singles, too, in different ways. You know, a boss will come up to a single person and say, you know what, I need you to stay late tonight. Look, I'm married. I have kids. i got to get home. So I'm going to make you do more of the work. And then sometimes single people get kind of almost abused in that way. That can happen in ministry too. I made a mistake as a single person. When I was single, I made a mistake. I abused my singleness. And, and, and I shouldn't have done that. When I first started ministry, I didn't, I'm, to be completely honest, I didn't date Franca the best way that I could have because I, I pursued ministry without limits. I didn't cultivate my relationships outside of my church circles because I got so caught up with what I was doing. I didn't Sabbath well. I thought, what do I have to take a break for? I don't need a break. I'm 22. I'm 23. What do I need to take a break for? I don't need Sabbath. Sabbath is just something other people do. I don't do that. And so even in my singleness, I abused my vocation in that season. And it made me make horrible decisions. But when we understand our limits, when we discern our limits, when we know the limits we have and we can say, Lord, I can trust you to work within my limits, you make better decisions. And it leads to this, to prioritize your vocation. Paul, when he describes um, a married person in this text, he says, listen, as a married person, you will have divided interests, but here's the thing, your calling is to please, he says it twice, to the husband and to the wife. Please your wife, to the husband, he says, Please your husband, he says to the wife. He recognizes that even though, even though Paul has this urgency, Jesus could come back next week, get going on kingdom stuff, but he recognizes, hey, if you're married, part of your calling is to please your spouse, is to love your spouse, is to care for your spouse. After Pete Scizzaro made that mistake and, and they slowly worked through some things, he, he writes this. He says, you know, you begin to make what is important to your spouse important to you. Now, I, I'm, I'm assuming that doesn't mean like just because your husband loves hockey, you got to love hockey. Or just because your, your spouse loves Pinterest. Notice I said spouse because I guess some guy, I think some guys like Pinterest too. All of a sudden you got to love Pinterest, you know, like it doesn't mean like just love everything they love. But there's a, there's a sense of let what's important to them become important to you. And he said specifically, that means I wake up each and every day and ask myself, what is important to my wife today? And he asked this follow-up question. How can I be present to her in a way that reflects the love of Jesus? What would happen if, that, if we viewed our relationships with that kind of vocational importance? So please, your spouse. Another thing is, this is for both married and singles, nurture community. In marriage, that seems obvious. Well, I got people around, either a spouse or possibly kids. And so the, the, the target is right, evident, right? Your attention divided makes a decision for you, spouse and children. But here's the thing. Sometimes we miss to nurture that community at home. To nurture that community between a husband and a wife. To nurture that community as a family. 
and just go off and do more ambitious things. And if we want to live out of our vocation, in other words, see that what God is doing in my marriage or in my singleness is valuable and vital and some fruit is going to come out of that. I'm not just, I'm not just going to use that. I'm not just going to use that to be fruitful somewhere else. I'm going to be passionate here and let fruit come out of that. You need to nurture community there. And sometimes we might say, well, that's not as obvious as a single person. A single person might say, well, I don't have that other person or uh, children or something to, 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 to build community with. And I would say you need community in your life. You need to have a sense of family. Now, that might be your f- extended family, but it might be reaching out to others and saying, I, I, I want a sense, I, I need people in my life. In other words, a single person, their danger is I can just fill up every night of the week with tasks, even good tasks, even ministry tasks, but miss out on a sense of community. And I would say to singles, you need that sense. You need, so that might mean, you know, setting up like a weekly dinner night with, with friends, uh, being together that way. It might be reaching out to another West Sider and saying, we need to go for coffee periodically because I, I, I want to build this relationship. It might be reaching out to a family within the church and saying, I, being honest, I need family. I need to hang around with a family. Could, could we do that sometime? It, it might be setting it up that way. And I'd encourage families or I would say, look out for singles in our church community and look out for them and say, hey, we'd love to extend our home to you. Would you come over for supper in a couple of weeks? Would you come and spend some time with us? How can we encourage you? Because singles need to develop and nurture community. This is apart from what we talk about all the time. Develop spiritual community, join a community group, be here on weekends, that kind of community. I'm talking also about this sense of relationship that is so necessary in a single's life. And sometimes singles just kind of put it away and say, I can do more, I can, uh, I can accomplish more. And, uh, and then they find themselves with the need of community. Here's the last piece to this. If we're going to live out of our vocation, we need self-care. You know, we looked at this back in June, right? Jesus says, love others as yourself, which means that yourself is also important. And sometimes as Christians, and sometimes with the call of the kingdom and the call to serve and sacrifice, we sometimes put ourselves at, exp- at an expense. And we don't pursue health. We don't pursue healthy relationships We don't take care of our bodies. We don't mind our schedule. We don't Sabbath. And here's this important piece. If you are going to focus on living out of your marriage or out of your singleness, your self-care is so vital. Parker Palmer said these words. He was a university uh, president in the States. He says this, I have become clear about at least one thing, that self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer to others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give it the care it requires, we do so not only for ourselves, but for many others whose lives we touch. He caught something here. He realized he wanted to be a blessing to other people. He wanted to be used by God. He wanted to be a successful uh, president of 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 a university. But he realized that his, 
What would his most, most, his best fruit would come out of a healthy life and a life rooted in Christ, a life rooted in community, a life that takes care of itself, that out of that, something beautiful can happen. And it leads us back to this big point we have today to encourage you and me to live out of our vocation, not to abuse our vocation. So married people, not to abuse your marriage for the sake of something else. And even singleness, not to take your singleness and say, I'm just going to default it to being like, you know, this busy and doing this and not resting and not caring. And no, you need to live out your vocation in a healthy way. So here's a few things as we, as we end this. We'll just recap. When we understand our vocation, when we understand that, that we have divided interests, when we start to discern our limits and live within those limits and make decisions based on them, when we start to prioritize our vocation and say, this is something God's given me. This is a way I, I express what it means to be a, a person made in the image of God. When we see our marriage or singleness like that, all of a sudden, this starts to build this passion in our life. And then there's an overflow. Life comes out of that. We don't drain that to do life. We fuel that, and that gives us life, and that overflows into the rest of life. You, know, you see the difference? And so often we can do the reverse and drain that. And then we can start living a passionate life as a married or a single. And out of that, beautiful things will take place. The love you nurture with your spouse can grow to be a blessing around you. But the danger is when we abuse that for something else, eventually that will crush us. Eventually, when we abuse our vocation, our marriage, our singleness, and we pursue life in other ways, what's going to happen is something dangerous is happening there, and it's starting to hurt and crumble, and then we crush under it. We get crushed under it. And you've seen the stories of people being crushed under it. When you love and nurture your spouse or your family, it overflows into the world. When you develop healthy relationships as a single person in that season of your life, that overflows into the people around you. That sends an amazing message to the world around you. And when your life actually starts, your life actually starts becoming the message. Your marriage actually starts becoming the message. Your season of singleness actually becomes an amazing message to the world that I am an image bearer of God. And God has given me this season, this marriage or this singleness as a vocation. And then it's not only your words. And here's the beauty. Freedom comes out of that. Freedom comes from that. When you experience living life within your limits, you're more free than when you abuse your limits. You're more joyful when you experience that, the, the, the beauty and joy that comes out of nurturing a marriage rather than just abusing it. And there's clarity and depth when you start growing and, and honoring things like the Sabbath and, and your energy. All of a sudden, there's a clarity and depth that comes in that. God starts to work in that. And all this overflows into your life, your job, your relationships, your neighborhood, your decisions, your ministry, the church. See, we quoted N.T. Wright last week, and we're going to end with this. He, 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 he tied this idea from Matthew 19 that Jesus helps us see that even in, in the marriage vocation, there's a tie to creation, that we're image bearers that way. And when we, when we fuel that, we bring renewal. We join God in renewing the world. God's renewing the world. God's doing something in the world. God's speaking to people. God's at work. And the best way we can join him is to tie into the fact that we're his image bearers. And specifically in our vocation, when we live that out, we actually participate in what God's doing in the world. 
in a healthier way, in a more authentic way. And people actually see a message and a life that, that they would long for. That they would long for. I don't want to... Here's, I've made mistakes in this in so many regards. And I've come to the realization, I don't want to lead someone, like abuse my vocation of marriage or family for the sake of pursuing and inviting people into this life of Jesus and then them, then them seeing and saying like, oh, is that the kind of life you're calling me into? I don't think that's the kind of life. Is that the kind of life God has in store for me where you, where you use your family and your marriage for, for, for success and moving forward, even for a good cause? I don't think that's the picture of the gospel. I'd like it to be the reverse. Whereas I invite people and talk to people and live with people and live in my neighborhood, they start to notice that God's at work in this vocation, this part of my life. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Hmm. Maybe I'll just give you a moment to let um, the Spirit of God help you process the one thing you need to walk away with today. Lord, uh, forgive me and us. Maybe at times we've bought into the lie that our fruitfulness trumps our faithfulness. That our desire to be fruitful would abuse our faithfulness to you, to those closest to us in life, to the vocation of marriage or the vocation of singleness. God, give us a framework, a clarity around the things that matter, around the boundaries that matter, around the limits that we can find freedom in embracing. Thank you for this insight so we don't um, live a life not ever recognizing that we all have limits and then being crushed under that pursuit. But help us to trust you, that you have a plan, that you're at work, that, we, that, that, we can, that our lives will bear fruit, that our lives will bear fruit when we understand that we're created in your image, when we understand that our vocation of, of marriage or singleness is part of a reflection of your image. Let us trust you, God, that fruit will come from a life that honors that, from a life that pursues that from a life that finds freedom within even the limits we have. And then give us the love and compassion and grace, God, to pursue. Lord, I pray for married couples here today. God, I pray that, that, that they would see the priority and value and joy that you've given them, 
the opportunity to have in marriage. That they would see their marriage as a vocation. And that as they trust you in this, that they would see the beautiful fruit that comes out of a passionate life with a marriage that grows with you at the center. God, I pray for singles here today. God, I pray that they would have the resilience when culture and when even, even with good intention sometimes or even when there's people within the church that would, would, would you know, see them or speak to them in a way that would, would lead them to feel inferior or lead them to feel that they can abuse their season of life for something else. God, I pray for the singles right here today and in our church, God, that they would recognize that in their singleness, they are also reflecting your image. That this is a vocation that matters. And that, Lord, I pray as they seek out healthy relationships, as they pursue community. God, as they strive with your grace to live a healthy single life and that that message would resound to their friends and coworkers and colleagues, how that is so needed today in our world. And God, I pray that we would be a community that would support and love each other in the different vocations that we're in. May we be that kind of community, God, that encourages each other in the vocation we're in, that comes alongside each other and gives support where needed in those vocations. God, we long to be that kind of community. And we trust the fruit that will come out of that because you are such a big God and you are bigger than our limits and you are bigger than uh, our energy. You are bigger than our capacity, but as we serve you, as we serve you in the way you've created us to be, God, we trust that you're at work and you're doing amazing things beyond our imagination. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.